Hello. Today we will listen to stories from Pro Revenge. The name of the first post is Cheat on Me with My Best Friend. I'll wreck your career and publicly humiliate both of you. So, this post apparently is what triggered the R Pro Revenge riots of 2019 over the excessive use of acronyms to represent people MW, FBF, FBFW in the story. Sorry about that. I have reformatted the story with fake names in place of acronyms. Also, at the end of the post I've added answers to a few questions that came up repeatedly in the comments. Shithead and Sarah have been like family to my wife and I for several years, practically ever since we moved in across the street from them. The four of us were extremely tight. Our kids are the same age as theirs and are all good friends. We were one big family unit. We did dinner together a few times a week. We went on vacations together. I truly saw Shithead as a brother, and my wife and Sarah were very close too. Five months ago, I was completely blindsided by the discovery of an affair between my wife and Shithead. My wife had left her email open on our computer, and I saw an email from her to her longtime therapist saying that Shithead would be joining her at an upcoming session, again. Uh, WTF. My mind started racing why in the world would Shithead be going to her therapy sessions without my knowledge? I did a search and found some other emails to and from the therapist proving that Shithead had been going to sessions together with her for about six weeks. I checked our mobile phone account and discovered that, since late summer, they had been exchanging hundreds of texts every day, peaking at nearly 500 day by the holidays. Speaking of the holidays, my wife and I hosted both of our family's parents, siblings, etc. for both Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner, and Shithead and Sarah joined us either for dinner or after dinner on both holidays. Text records showed that the entire time that they were at our house celebrating with our families, my wife and shithead were texting each other across the room. They were doing that pretty much every time the four of us hung out, for months. And, you know, all day every day just in general. But what bothers me the most is that they were doing it with Sarah and I right there. I confronted my wife with the evidence and she admitted that yes, she and shithead had fallen in love. It just happened. I don't know how. But I love him and I just don't feel anything for you anymore, I'm sorry. They had gone on a school district trip together, something had happened in her hotel room, and things had moved quickly from there. She explained, as I lay face down on the couch, unable to look at her, that they had already made plans to move out and divorce me and Sarah, and while they didn't plan to move in together immediately because of the kids, they'd probably do so eventually. The meetings with the therapist were supposedly mostly for the purpose of finding a way to break this to me and Sarah as gently as possible, because they were so very concerned for our well-being. Sarah and I are fairly certain that they weren't planning on telling us about the affair at all, and were simply going to discover their feelings for one another several months down the line, after they'd come up with some other reason to divorce the two of us, my wife moved out two months ago. I was, and still am, utterly destroyed. I cry every day. I cried writing the first few paragraphs of this story just now. I worry non-stop about the impact on our kids. But I am also not exactly a shrinking violet when I feel that I've been wronged. And in this case I was, objectively, very very wronged. So, a couple of years ago, Shithead ran for a board of education seat as a pretty extreme underdog. I helped him with his campaign materials and debate prep, and my wife, a well-known school district employee, this becomes important later, got the word out as best she could. Much to our surprise, he actually won in a squeaker, by just a few dozen votes. Being on the board became the center of Shithead's world. He joined every committee that he could. 
This turned into the foundation of his affair with my wife, as they were constantly going to school events and meetings together on evenings and weekends. Once I discovered the affair, my thoughts turned pretty quickly to revenge, and it occurred to me that an extramarital affair between a member of the Board of Education and an employee of the school district was at least bad politics and possibly violated district policy. Making things far worse for them was that my wife was in the running for an open administrative position, and everyone knew that she was more or less guaranteed the job and the major pay raise that came with it. She had just finished her M. Astor's degree in school administration, at the urging of her principal and the superintendent, so that she could be promoted to this specific position. I had plenty of evidence of the affair texts from both of them admitting to it, text records showing that they were texting hundreds of times a day, emails to and from the therapist, etc. I considered simply emailing all of the evidence to the board and the superintendent, but felt like I, as the grieving, betrayed spouse, might not be seen as a credible source. So instead, I invented a fictitious, furious friend who was planning on showing up to the next board meeting and publicly shaming the two of them for their affair. I told my wife that I'd tried to talk this person down but couldn't guarantee that they wouldn't show up and humiliate them publicly. As I expected, this led Shithead to conclude that the only option was for him to preemptively admit the affair to the board. The superintendent subsequently recommended that Shithead resign, which he did. Sarah said that he was utterly humiliated and crushed, and barely got out of bed for a few days afterward. Once word of the affair and Shithead's resignation started getting around, the superintendent, a longtime friend of both my wife and Shithead, contacted my wife and tearfully informed her that it was no longer politically appropriate for her to be promoted to an administrative position within the district. The position that had been lined up for her was later filled by an outside candidate. This sent waves of confusion and rumor throughout the district, as it was pretty well known that my wife was getting the job. The day after she was informed that she wasn't getting the promotion, my wife and I, despite our crumbling marriage, took our son out to breakfast together on his birthday, and a parent stopped by our table to congratulate her on her new role. She said thanks, then excused herself to go cry in the bathroom for a while. I let the dust settle for a couple of weeks, and then, right before my wife moved out, let them in on my little secret there was never a furious friend threatening to expose them in the first place. Just me. Word of all of this has gotten around our fairly small town, which Shithead grew up in and my wife has worked in for nearly 20 years. My wife refuses to talk to me about how things are at work now, but I've heard from some people I know in the district that her formerly spotless reputation has taken a major hit. Shithead, formerly a gregarious social presence in our neighborhood and at events and pubs in town, has completely gone underground and barely emerges to mow his lawn. He's moving out soon, to a shitty little townhouse which is all he can afford due to all the child support he's going to have to pay his wife. My wife and Shithead claim that they plan on trying to make things work together, despite all the public humiliation. I wish them lots of luck with that. I'm sure it will be a lot of fun to show their faces together in town. Edit, here's a log of their text skulls over the course of a few months before I discovered the affair. Obviously their phone numbers have been stripped out. Answers to some common questions in the comments, are you and Sarah a thing now? You should totally be a thing, that would be awesome. No. We're friends. We've been incredibly important to each other since this all started and have certainly gotten a lot closer, but not in the way everyone's thinking. This would all be so much harder to deal with if I didn't have her to lean on, and she says she feels the same way about me, we're going through basically the exact same situation with the same players, after all. 
Shithead hasn't moved out yet, once he does, we plan to go back to getting the kids together more often like they used to it'll never be the same, of course. She already does come over with the kids from time to time, but it's just tough with Shithead's constant presence across the street, didn't your revenge hurt both sets of kids? Not really. Shithead has a day job, the board of education was his hobby and his passion but this didn't affect his income at all. And my wife has been assured that if she wants to pursue an administrative position with another district, she'll have glowing letters of recommendation from her superintendent and principal. It'll mean giving up a lot of work relationships in the process, but given the hit her reputation has taken, I'm guessing she makes that jump sooner rather than later. In the meantime, not moving to an administrative job means that she still has summers off with the kids. Why do you call her your wife instead of your former wife? We're working out way through divorce mediation, but it isn't final yet. We'll be soon, why didn't you notice? All of the texting your wife was doing. Well, I did. It was really starting to piss me off. It was excessive. She has a big social circle and does tend to text a lot anyway, but it was really getting over the top, to the point where she was completely ignoring me and the kids. At one point in November I asked her to agree to a no phones at the dinner table rule, which she agreed to reluctantly but then would pout through dinner, and eventually she just started using her phone during dinner again. All that said I was blind. Not only was the texting getting weird, but her relationship with shithead was starting to make me uncomfortable. Sarah noticed it too and agreed. We confronted them a couple of times about it directly and they both swore up and down that it was just school stuff that they were talking about, there was nothing else going on. And for whatever reason, we believed them probably because the mind tends to refuse to see things that it doesn't want to see, thanks, by the way, for all of the support in the comments. I couldn't reply to everyone, but I did read them all, and I appreciate them, even the brutally honest feedback from people who feel that I did the wrong thing. Posting this and reading all of the responses introduced me to perspectives I hadn't considered about all of this, and reminded me most of all that the anguish I'm dealing with is pretty normal given the situation I'm going through. I had a pretty okay Memorial Day weekend, even though I missed my wife and thought a lot about the things we'd probably be doing as a family. I'm taking my kids camping next weekend and having something like that to look forward to and plan has me feeling pretty good today, let's jump right into our next post named dealing with a gas thief, I've shared this story before, and I'll share it again, several years ago I lived in the northwest coast of Puerto Rico. It's a very relaxed area, with tons of good restaurants and lots of green space. My apartment was on a cliff, not far from the water. The electric infrastructure was a bit old, so when it was rainy season, we'd lose power for a few hours at a time. Not a big deal I had a gasoline generator, enter a new neighbor. He lived two doors down from me, and drove an amazing custom Chevy van from the 70s. All it needed was an epic airbrushed wizard on the side. Sadly though, that's where anything good about him ended, I caught him taking the gas out of an orange jug ID leave outside in case the generator ran out. Although I saw him do it, and called him out on it, he denied it and played stupid, so after the second time, I took all of the gas in the jug, filled the generator with it, and put the rest in my car. I then went to the nearest gas station that had diesel and filled it up with diesel, a few days later, I am woken up by a tow truck backing up to pick up his now disabled van. I looked out the window and you could see the anger on his face. He moved out the next month, and from what I gathered from talking to people in the community, he was a general piece of shit human and what happened to him was deserved. Let's jump right into our next post named Revenge is best served frozen, we don't own a car and live at the end of a cul-de-sac. I have people use my driveway all the time to turn around. 
It's not a huge deal to me, a little annoying when they compact the snow and it's harder to shovel but whatever, one of my neighbors had a ride service come pick up their child every day. The van would park in my spot and begin honking at like 8am, I worked nights at the time. Half the time he'd be half parked on my grass. I told my neighbor that I don't overly mind my spot being used but not if he's going to honk like that every morning and especially not if he's going to drive over what little lawn I have every time. She spoke with him, he ignored it. I spoke with him and got, what's your problem man, it's not like you're using it. To which I repeated that I don't mind him using it if he stays off my grass and doesn't honk every morning, and hash x200b, apparently suggesting he wait till the kid notices he's there or, god forbid, he have to drag his ass out of the car to knock on a door was just ridiculous and inhumane of me. So I left a recycle bin at the foot of my driveway. He just ran over it. I called the dispatch for the ride service and was told they are subcontractors and technically self-employed but they will pass along the message, and hash x200b, I wake up the next day to pounding on my door. Dude is pissed, him, how dare you call my boss you stupid piece of shit. What the fuck is wrong with you, me, well it's quite simple, you were told not to use my driveway if you were going drive on my lawn and wake me up every morning. Now get off my doorstep, him, I'll sue you if I lose. E my job because of you, me, you've been warned. Don't trespass on my driveway or property again. And hash x200b, dude storms off in a huff spouting obscenities etc. So this happened on a Thursday, the kids have a PD day the next day and it's supposed to be one of those delightful Canadian weekends where it drops to like 40 Celsius, for my American friends, 40 is where Celsius and Fahrenheit meet up so it's freaking cold lol. So that night, I grabbed one of my more beat-up plastic garbage bins, made sure to plug all the holes with a generous amount of duct tape, stuck a sign on it that read, private property, driveway not for public use, and proceeded to fill it to the brim with water. Now, before anyone thinks I'm a jerk willing to potentially endanger the other kids in the car, I'd like to point out that my neighbor's kid is the first to be picked up so it's just him in the car, and hash x200b, q Monday morning. He sees the garbage can, backs up a bit more and defiantly charges the garbage can as if to teach me a lesson and proceeds to cause some pretty serious damage to the front end of his car. Dude gets out fuming, calls the cops and comes pounding on my door screaming about how I'm going to buy him a new car and that I'm about to be arrested, and hash x200b, cop, so let me make sure I understand this situation. He asked you not to park here if you couldn't refrain from honking, then warned you not to park here and put up a barrier. Now you expect him to be charged and pay for damages you caused yourself to your vehicle in an attempt to destroy his own personal property, and hash x200b, I will never forget the look on his face when the officer said, yeah that's not how this works, and turned to me and asking if I wanted to pursue charges for him damaging my personal property. I just gave him the most shit-eating grin I could muster and said, nah I think we're good. I then went back inside to enjoy a morning coffee while watching him from my kitchen window as he paced back and forth in the cold waiting for a tow truck and having to call the company he worked for to explain why they needed to send out another driver to complete his route. Edit, thanks for the silver and gold. More edits for closure, and hash x200b, no I never saw him again. And hash x200b, as far as the police officer, I wasn't aware that it wasn't up to me and he didn't say anything about it either. I assume he really didn't want to have to bother with the paperwork and thought I may have gotten upset if he'd said, well I don't see the need to press charges at this point, so he made it seem like it was my choice. Source, I'm somewhat lazy and would likely do the same.
and hash x200b, a cul-de-sac can also be used to describe a street with no exit which is exactly where my home is. It's easier for them to use my driveway than three-point turn their way out like Austin Powers. And hash x200b, I was drinking morning coffee because they were 6pm 2am shits. So nights but not quite overnights and I usually got up at around 10am. Every time he'd wake me up around 8 or so I wouldn't be able to get back to sleep. Hence why I needed him to stop. And hash x200b, and hash x200b, finally, I really appreciate all the love and comments this post has received. I assumed a few would get a laugh but holy crap. I wasn't prepared for this kind of reaction. That being said, I find the sheer number of comments I need to reply to quite overwhelming for my somewhat introverted self. So on that note, I'm out and leave all this accumulated karma to be sacrificed to the reddit gods. I spend way too much time on here anyways smiley face, and hash x200b, and hash x200b, and hash x200b, glad you all got to have a good laugh. Cheers, the next story we will hear is named I had an office food thief. So I bought a nanny cam. A couple things about me that made it really suck to have a food thief, I have a lot of food allergies, so I can't just get lunch at the cafeteria or at a nearby restaurant I have a new baby, who I'm breastfeeding, and who I pump for when I'm at work. You know how hungry pregnant people are? Yeah, the caloric requirement for breastfeeding is 100,200 calories higher. I am always hungry. Because I have a new baby, half the time I don't manage to show up at work with a lunch. I either run out of time to pack one, or if I did remember, I leave it on the counter. My solution to all of this was to leave lots of non-perishable snacks in my office. And also a lot of candy, because I also have a 3 year old and therefore work is the only place I can shovel skittles into my mouth without a little hand extending into my field of vision and a little voice saying please. Snacks that were specifically free of my allergens. Some of which were specialty foods because of this. The type of specialty food that just doesn't taste as good as food that contains the allergen, and also costs twice as much. Because I'm not getting a lot of sleep right now. I deserve nice things. So, because I'm not getting a lot of sleep right now, when I first came back from maternity leave, assembled my snack hoard, and started having things go missing, I genuinely thought I was just losing my mind. Boxes of candy were running out faster than I thought I was eating them. I'd come in in the morning and things wouldn't be where I'd left them. At one point I brought a bag of chips to work, folded the rim of the bag down so I wasn't plunging my arm elbow deep into a grease pit, and then put a bag clip on it when I went home, and when I came in the next morning the bag was unrolled and reclipped. I went, wow, I must be more tired than I thought, rolled the bag back down, and the next morning it was unrolled again. Just little things like that, almost every day, that made me go, wow, the post-baby brain is worse than I thought, and then. And then. Then I got the flu. I got the flu, and I was out for a whole week. Left behind at the office was an almost full box of Enjoy Life cookies, which are not enjoyable but are free of all major allergens, and are also $5 a box for, like, 12 sad little sand pies with some cinnamon on top. I ate one row of these cookies. And then I was out of the office for a week. For one week, I was not eating any of my snack hoard, but someone else was. Because I came back to work, opened my box of cookies, and found one. There was one single, solitary cookie left. 
and, on further examination, the one box of candy that had been opened was nowhere to be found, and on top of that the thief had done me the courtesy of opening a new box for me, except that they actually followed the push here to open instructions instead of just ripping one end of the box open like I do, which they should damn well know at this point because by this time they'd been stealing from me for two goddamn months. The combination of these two things the sheer freaking audacity it takes to open a new box so you can continue stealing from someone, on top of the consumption of almost a whole box of specialty cookies that aren't even good enraged me enough that, after going to my boss and getting some vague promises about checking if the security cameras in my wing of the building are functional or not what, I went straight to Amazon and ordered myself a nanny cam, not for my baby. For my snack hoard, conveniently, it arrived the day before Valentine's Day. I set it up on top of a file cabinet looking down at my desk. On the desk, I laid out a fantastic spread of tilde tilde bait tilde tilde snacks. I got all my thief's favorites, and then I took it one step further. I bought myself a valentine heart, broke the seal to make it more inviting, and left it out on my desk. The next morning, I came into some very obvious snack carnage. My thief had slowly been getting more brazen, again, who opens a new box of something and opens it differently than the person they are stealing from, but this was just on another level. Individually wrapped things had been dumped out of their boxes. Bits of packaging had been thrown away. And, yup, they'd eaten some of the valentine candy. For shame, office thief. Don't you know that's from someone who loves me? I played back the video. All was quiet throughout most of the evening, and I was just watching the shadows lengthen as the sun slowly set through the hallway window. And then, shortly before midnight, the night janitor arrived, and went right ahead and took a 12-minute break in my office, sitting in my chair, eating my food. I started taking screenshots. I got him shoveling candy into his mouth with full palm to lips intensity. Pouring things out onto the desk to pick his favorite flavors. Not even bothering to put them back where he found them. And yes, eating my goddamn Valentine's candy. Screenshots went directly to my boss in an email. I went directly to my boss's door to hover and grin and ask if he'd read my email. And I got assurances of a strongly worded email to the cleaning company and the barring of this particular employee from our place of business. I was also, tactfully, asked to please take my unauthorized spy camera home, which I did. I thought this was over, until the girl who works the concession stand dropped by to thank me. Apparently the food thief would start his shift just as she was closing down for the night, and would try to get free coffee in that creepy guy way. And then one of the reception staff came by with the same sentiments. I'd never met the guy face to face, but apparently, as a woman, it was not a fun experience to have. I'd shown my screenshots to a few co-workers whose eating U5 rabbits in Alonkot's food had become office gossip by this point and word had spria. D fast. I worked an earlier shift, so I didn't recognize him, but people whose shifts overlapped with his did. I hadn't told my husband about what I'd done because, when I came home raging about the blatant theft that had gone on while I'd had the flu, his only response had been, you really shouldn't be leaving food at work, then. But, when I came home with the nanny cam and explained where and why I'd gotten it, his reaction surprised me, you know, I think this is the first time I've seen you stand up for yourself. I'm proud of you, you know what, Reddit. I'm proud of me too. The next story of today's episode is named Scumbag Ant ripped off my grandma for years. I put my nose in her business and had the IRS financially ruin her. This is going to be long, so TL, doctor, aunt screwed over my grandma for years. I put my nose in her business, got parents wise on the fraud and eventually reported her to the IRS.
The long dick of the IRS bankrupted her and her husband and now they are destitute and too old to work. This happened about five years ago. My grandma was getting old, late 80s early 90s. She had one wish, to not die in a senior home. Easily done as my grandpa sold some assets way back when, then invested the money and let it ride for 30 plus years, he never touched it and collected a pension. Way back when my grandpa died, about 10 years before this, my grandma appointed my dad, this shitty aunt and my uncle as the trustees of the trust. Basically the trusted advisors for her and her care for the foreseeable future. All was well in the beginning, then my dad Willie, moved further away and couldn't take care of the day-to-day -day upkeep as the trustee and to see that my grandma was okay. My aunt Rebecca told her that she and my uncle Fred, who lived in Arizona, could take over and all would be fine. It was fine for a while. A few times my dad went back to visit and noticed my grandma didn't always have overnight care or that her mail wasn't picked up and the driveway wasn't plowed. She also lost her cable TV and newspaper subscription. My dad figured it just lapsed so he had the services put back on. My dad also noticed my grandma was eating moldy food at times because her truck was sold and she had no transportation, she drove up to 90 years old. She basically just chilled at the house alone and did crossword puzzles. The craziest part of this is that my aunt only lived two miles from my grandma, but my grandma told my dad she saw Aunt Rebecca once a week on Saturday for about one hour. As with the elderly and age, my grandma passed away. She did get her wish and was able to die in her own home. Upon her death things started to get real interesting. Once the probate lawyer got her children, my dad, aunt, uncle and another estranged aunt, Becky, around the table some shady business started to come out. My aunt Rebecca asked that everyone just forego any audit or paperwork and they just sell the house for around $400,000, and divide up the remaining back account balance of roughly $400,000. So just signing on the line, each sibling was to get a check for $200,000, not too bad of an inheritance. My dad thought that was somewhat a little rushed. He said at the time that he wanted to wait because my grandma's house was easily in the $600,000 range based on size and location. My aunt exploded in his face, cursing at him and calling him all kinds of names because he was unwilling to sign the assets then and there. She basically wanted a quick close while everyone looked the other way. My dad ended up leaving the room after the screaming and the deal wasn't signed that day. It took nearly six months before another appointment and they were all back at the table. The thing is though, when you are a trustee and the person dies, the funds and access to financial accounts are all under heavy scrutiny until all beneficiaries are made aware and sign the final papers. At the next meeting, my dad went in there with no intention to sign the deal. He got his brother, my uncle Fred, to agree that they audit the entire accounts going back five years. When they demanded this again at the meeting with the lawyer, my aunt ended up arguing that a forensic audit would cost $5,000 and it's a waste, like what difference does it make? Two beneficiaries requested it, so it was what was going to happen. The audit report showed up about three months later. Here is where it gets good, my dad began looking over the audit report saw it was full of holes, like excessive monthly food costs for a 90-year-old lady. Payments made for car services for a car my grandma no longer had. Many different things in there they just didn't add up. My dad asked me to give the audit a second look, so I spent a Saturday night going over it, and here is some crazy stuff I found, and alerted my dad about. 1. Costco monthly food costs of $1,100-$2,000 for the last 4 years. 
2, telephone bills for 6 cell phones, grandma has a home phone only 3, gasoline for a truck my grandma didn't have for like 4 years, and easily $400 month 4, house repairs paid to my aunt's husband who owned a construction business, some of the house repairs were like $16,000 for a new roof, new garage doors, home security system which she didn't have, etc., all inflated prices. 5. Grandma paid for my aunt to go to Europe twice on vacation. 6. My grandma was paying my estranged aunt Becky a stipend of $2,000 a month for the last five years, as well as her deadbeat son for $2,500, every month they were paid. 7. All grandkids were to be paid a lump sum of $10,000 upon their 30th birthday as that is when the $50 check from grandma stopped for all grandkids. Guess who was paid out, her kids and my estranged aunt's kids, but not me or my siblings. 8. My grandma gave loans to my aunt Rebecca for her husband's construction business in return for equity in the company, which amounted to nothing. These loans totaled about $200,000 over three years, right around when the housing bust happened. Point 9. They also sold her assets like jewelry and whatnot for cash, because some big ticket items simply vanished from her house armed with all this. The next probate meeting was interesting. In the time between my grandma's death and the third probate meeting, my aunt's construction business filed for bankruptcy so that $200,000 in equity grandma had, simply vanished. The probate lawyer was also somewhat concerned and makes it obvious that this was fraud and breach of fiduciary duty, where my aunt could actually get real prison time. After this, the negotiations were much more favorable. My aunt got nothing, literally zero, my other aunt only received $25,000 after all the stipend payments. My father and uncle shared the rest, after all grandkids received the $10,000 payout. The house sold to the first offer for $520,000. That was the regular revenge for any treacherous bitch that ripped off grandma and had her eating moldy food. Here is the pro. My aunt probably felt pretty bad that she couldn't supplement her lifestyle with grandma's money anymore, but that was the least of her worries. Since she tried to personally rip me off for $10,000, I took it personally. I don't care how tough you are, the IRS is the scariest thing that can happen to a person, nobody wants to have their money forcibly removed. I did a little research and found the 3949A PDFF 3949A.pdf I also had the audit and legal office could would provide the full trust in requested, demanded by the IRS, I don't know if it ever was. So I photocopied my documents, had then notarized and send off the info to the IRS. I felt like it went nowhere, then maybe 18 months later I was notified and asked to come to the IRS building for an appointment in my city. The agent went over all the details, what they found in their research and then they asked for a sworn statement. It turns out my aunt didn't declare something like $1.2 million in additional income over five years, and as such she owed the IRS around $420,000 plus penalties. There was no way she was going to pay that on a teacher's pension and after her husband's bankrupt his business. Her house was sold, her vehicle sold, and they left the state. Now aunt and uncle live in a depressing desert town like this images content image 114740IMG9765.jpg in the southwest. The IRS paid me around $60,000 about three months after the appointment. She should have paid that $10,000. Our next story is titled how I ended up with my boss's job. I was working for an advertising agency, a pretty big one I had an ethical manager. Well when I started out I had a manager who was one of the most unethical managers I've ever dealt with. 
he'd order his sales reps to do things that would increase his bonuses which are based on margins. Example say a client decided to buy product XYZ and their spend was $2,000 a month he would want the agent to put up products ABC and keep the spend at $2,000 even though the client didn't agree to that. Fact is the clients generally wouldn't notice, but if they did, it could cost you your job, I was the guy that refused his demands, he would tell me to cheat the client and I would refuse. He would get mad. I wouldn't care, this went on for quite a while. Now there is something I don't tell people very often, I live in a one-party consent state which means so long as I'm aware a conversation is being recorded I can record it without informing the other party. I had just upsold my largest client making him even larger, dot but I didn't sell the products my boss wanted me to sell. He demanded I switch things around, I refused. I told him I sold the client XYZ that's what we agreed to, I'm not going change that without the customer permiss. Ion. His exact words were, fuck the customer, this is your largest client I need him on ABC or I'm not going make my number, I'm sorry, but you and I both know ABC isn't right for this client and that's why he didn't buy it, you're fired, if you can't follow instructions you're fired, after confirming he was dead serious I said, if you do that, I'll have your job by the end of the month, I went home, I didn't think he'd go through with it. Sure as shit next morning I'm locked out of all our systems. I call tech support and get told I've been fired. So who do I call? I call our regional vice president and tell him I have several recordings I think he should listen to. Remember my boss ordering me to do unethical things wasn't uncommon. So I meet up with my RVP and play six different recordings that I had saved showing my manager was pushing his agents to break the law, to which my RVP leaned back in his chair, and let out a sigh knowing he had to fire my manager, having a sales manager that is forcing his reps to break the law is just bad business. At which point I asked for my job back. He agreed that I would get my job back and asked me to take the week off and call him on Monday. He told me he'd talk to payroll and make sure I got paid for this week as well. FYI he fulfilled all of his promises with me, although I missed a payday but got back pay later so I was fine with that. That Monday I come into our Monday morning meeting in which my RVP was there, he informed the entire team that my boss had been fired and why. He also mentioned that if anyone wanted to apply for his job there was now an opening, so I applied for and after three rounds of interview got my promotion. Sure as shit I was right, I did have my boss's job by the end of the month. It was glorious the first day walking into his office and sitting in his nice big comfy chair, let's jump right into our next post named want to threaten to kill me then go be creepy with little girls. Have fun dealing with the FBI. Edit, originally posted to our confession, but was told that it would fit here as well, after I broke up with my ex, I would keep tabs on him rumors, hearsay, friendly whispers, and public social media posts alike due to the threat of violence. He'd occasionally post something about burning down my house, or he'd text a mutual friend and try to figure out where I had moved to, so I felt justified, and we live in a very small town, so gossip flowed like honey, in reality, I was assuaging my anxiety by exerting what little control I could in that particular area in my life. Everything ended up documented for legal reasons to give it more legitimacy. At the time, friendly custody talks had broken down into, we need attorneys to mediate, and due to the fact that I wouldn't release my daughter into his care without a custody agreement, I started to receive threats from both him and his family, mostly along the lines of, if you're, gone, the baby will be ours. 
One specific threat that still sticks with me was to burn down my apartment building, prompting me to move. My social worker slash court appointed attorney never received the requested documents for custody, so my concerns went from legal issues to my own physical safety rather quickly. After a while, it went from, so and so is threatening you online, to, did you hear that so and so got kicked out of where he was staying for trying to sleep with his roommate's 12-year-old cousin? So-and-so isn't allowed near this person's 14-year-old daughter anymore because they caught him texting her nudes. I heard about three different young girls who had possibly been victimized by this dude, which was believable he had pursued me when I was 19 and he was 26, and I look very young for my age. We broke up in part due to him being arrested for minor sexual crimes. All of these girls were coming from slightly trashy families with runins with the law, so he probably knew that the adults around would be wary of reporting him, so I reported him and all of the online handles I knew he used to the motherfuckering FBI. Straight up went to the center of missing and exploited children on his ass not two months later, I get a message from someone saying, did you hear that so and so got arrested in a sting, he had been trying to sleep with this 12 year old girl offline and when he went to meet up with her, it ended up being set up with the state police or something. He caught extra charges thanks to the whips and handcuffs he had in his backpack, now he's in jail, and a registered sex offender. If he had just not threatened me, I never would have paid attention to gossip concerning him, and he probably would have gotten away with his shit for years. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reddit G. UY. If you enjoyed it you can follow the podcast and never miss an episode of daily Reddit podcasts.